the first service, my wife doesn't like when I laugh at her, but now, but now I get an opportunity to laugh at her twice. <laughs> the first service, they called me up. My wife tugged at me and said, it's not time yet. So they had to call me up twice. So, so I'm glad that didn't happen. As Brother Joe says, I told you I was a, uh, more of an evangelist, but we had mission work in Ukraine, Haiti, and now Israel. God opens doors and he closes doors. Right now, Israel is open. They, uh, they are receptive to the, the gospel more now than I think they've ever been. Prayerfully and hopefully, this door continues to stay open until the Lord returns. Uh, going to Israel is a very exciting experience. Small place, smaller than uh, the whole country, smaller than Ohio. Every place you go, there's a Bible story, and uh, that's that's very exciting. Like uh, the last trip, I was up on top of Mount Carmel. If you can just picture this, and in between Mount Carmel is the Valley of Megiddo, and you can just see the armies of the Antichrist one day just coming in that valley. And then across the valley, you look up. Nazareth, and then seeing like the Sea of Galilee and Jerusalem and Bethlehem, it's it's very exciting. So if you ever get a chance to go, uh, it, it's I hear people brag about their vacations. I try not to rub it in their face, but I always think you can't beat this. You can't beat going to Israel. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter three. Ephesians chapter 3. This is one of the most comforting chapters in all the Bible. It is comforting because it reveals God's eternal plan for his church. There's much in this chapter, but today we will only focus on Ephesians 3, verses 17 through 19. Ephesians 3, verses 17 through 19. But first, before we read the verses, in order to get a better understanding of what the Apostle Paul is teaching us, we should review a little bit about Paul's background. Paul was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew amongst Hebrews. He was a Pharisee and the son of a Pharisee. He was educated in the Mosaic law at the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was the greatest rabbinic scholar of his day. Even the Jews today still read and study after him. As we know, before Paul's conversion, as a zealous Pharisee, he was known for persecuting Christians, including the death of Stephen, making Stephen the first Christian martyr. 
In contrast, after Paul's conversion on that Damascus Road, Paul played a very crucial role in spreading the gospel to the Gentiles. His three missionary journeys took him throughout the Roman Empire. Paul started more than a dozen churches, and he authored, I believe, 14 books of the Bible. But during this time, Paul experienced much heartache. He suffered both physically and emotionally. Once, often he was very tired and in pain. Often he was hungry, cold, and thirsty. On five occasions, Paul received public lashings. The Lord Jesus received public lashing before he was crucified. The Roman lash consisted of, 90, uh, of 39 strikes. The Romans would say, if we gave you 40, you would die. That's how severe the lashings were. Three times, Paul was beaten with rods. Once, he was stoned and left to die. But to make things worse, Paul had something he described as a thorn in the flesh. This thorn in the flesh was given to him by a messenger of Satan. There's been much debate. I don't think anyone really knows what this thorn in the flesh was, but it was something very terrible. Paul prayed for this thorn to be removed three times. Each time, God's answer to him was no. Instead, God responded, My grace is sufficient for thee. 2 Corinthians 12.9 Eventually, Paul was imprisoned, and ultimately, he was executed. At times, all of us suffer both physically and emotionally. Sometimes friends desert us. Sometimes death takes a loved one. Sometimes we are wronged. Sometimes we lose our jobs. Sometimes we feel very abandoned. And in the midst of all our troubles, Sometimes the Lord answers our prayers. But sometimes, like Paul, he chooses not to. Whether our prayers are answered or whether they are not, Paul teaches us that God has a plan and his grace is sufficient for us. That is why from prison, Paul wrote, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye be rooted and grounded in love. May ye be able to comprehend with all the saints the width and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, and that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day that you've given us 
to come here and worship you. Thank you for all your many blessings that we too often take for granted. I pray you'll watch over Greg and Renee as they travel. I pray that my words will accurately reflect your holy word. And please let me never say anything that is not exactly the way that you want it said from your Bible. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for these people. And I pray that if there's anyone here today that's lost, today will be the day of salvation. Amen. By the commandment, by the command that Paul gave us, we see that this is an overwhelming task. Paul commands us to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. The questions are, how can we know something that cannot be known? How can we define something that cannot be defined? How can we measure something that cannot be measured? How can we comprehend something that is so vast, so boundless, so infinite, so eternal, so amazing? Paul knows that this is an overwhelming task. Therefore, he gave us, he has given us a method to separate this task dimensionally. Paul has broken this task into four individual parts so we could understand. The four parts are width, length, depth, and height. First of all, let's attempt to understand the width of Christ's love towards us. There are several places in scripture where this particular dimension is put before us in a very striking manner. We will look at, at a couple of them. In John 14, verses 1 through 3, the Lord Jesus com comforted his disciples, his grieving disciples, by saying, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you into myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Then in Revelations chapter 5, we read, The blood of Christ has redeemed us to God from out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And the number of them were 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. This is a very great number of the redeemed. However, it is very sad to say that there will be more lost than saved. For the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. And straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. There will be more people in hell than heaven 
for one simple reason. They refuse to believe in Jesus Christ. Most people refuse to accept the free pardon of sin that the Lord Jesus offered at the cross. However sad this is, it is still encouraging to know that there will be multitudes of the redeemed in heaven. There will be people saved from every continent, from every country, from every culture, from every lineage, and from every background. Multitudes of the redeemed in heaven. Such is the width of Christ's love. Second, let us try to understand the length of Christ's love. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Revelation 13.8 says, Our names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life from the foundation of the world. Sometime in eternity past, there is an agreement entered into between God the Father and God the Son with the blessing of God the Holy Spirit. This covenant concerned the salvation of those that were to be saved. This covenant can be summed up in Acts 4, verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Nothing surprises God. Everything was known. Even the fall of man was foreseen. In order for us to be saved, in order for sinners to be saved, the Lord Jesus had to leave the glories of heaven. He would have to become a man, and he would have to die for the sins of the world. Yes, Christ Jesus became a man. But no, he did not lose, he did not shed his deity. The Lord Jesus, fully man, remained fully God. However, the Lord Jesus did shed some prerogatives of his deity. He shed his immortality. He could now die. He shed his omniscience. The Father alone knows when Christ will return. Matthew 24, 36. And he shed his omnipresence. In spirit, Christ Jesus is everywhere. But in his physical form, he is only in one place at one time. That is why after the re resurrection, Christ Jesus ascended back to heaven, he ascended back to the Father, and sent the Holy Spirit to indwell each believer. Christ Jesus shed his prerogatives, prerogatives so that he could be our representative and die in our place for our sins. This covenant was God's plan. This covenant was God's only plan. It doesn't surprise me that God only made one plan of salvation. 
what surprises me is that he made any plan at all for we all are health deserving sinners but God made one and only one way for us to be redeemed and that one way was to accept the pardon that Christ offered us at the cross again Christ's love for us did not suddenly come into being his love for us was always there his love for us started in eternity past it manifests itself in time and it will continue throughout eternity future the love of Christ for us began way back before God ever created the heavens and the earth and his love will continue past the innumerable eons of time long after the heavens and the earth have passed away the apostle Paul com confirmed this by saying I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord Romans 8 38 39 nothing in time or eternity can ever cause the love of Christ towards us to change or to fail such is the length of Christ's love third let us attempt to understand the depth of Christ's love from prison the Apostle Paul said let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross wherefore God also highly hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father Philippians 2 verses 5 through 11 Christ Jesus is not only the Son of God but he is also God the Son Christ Jesus is equal to the Father in every way but the Lord Jesus did not regard his equality with the Father as a prize to be held on to he did not regard it as a treasure to be jealous of rather Christ humbled himself and he came into this evil world of sin and shame in the likeness of man he entered into the virgin's womb he was born into poverty he lived meagerly he experienced weariness he who is the bread of life experienced hunger 
he who is the spring of living water became thirsty. He who is the God of all comfort suffered. He who created all the laws of the universe was arrested. He who is worshipped by angels was mocked by man. He was spat upon. He was condemned. He was scourged. His beard was pulled out. A crown of thorns were, were driven into his head. And he was nailed to a cross. The Lord Jesus hung on that terrible cross for six excruciating hours. For the first three hours, Christ Jesus endured the worst torture ever devised by man. He endured it without complaint. He endured it without accusation. And he endured it without protest. But the final three hours on the cross were different. Far different. Luke 23, verses 44 through 46 says, Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. During these final three hours, our Savior also cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Our Savior was not only suffering at the hands of evil men, but he was also experiencing the very wrath of God. That term frightens me, experiencing the very wrath of God. That's what people in hell will one day know. The agreement, the covenant, the transaction for payment for the, for the sins of the world agreed on in eternity past was now being paid. This transaction was not for our eyes to see or for our ears to hear. So this transaction was hidden from our eyes and ears with a darkness and a silence that covered the entire earth. The Father cannot look upon sin, so he turned his holy back to it. He could not, not watch, nor did he allow the morbid crowd gathered around the cross, gathered around the scene to watch. So he covered the world with a deep darkness and a deep silence at the close of the transaction the father reached down from heaven and tore the veil of the temple from top to bottom thus allowing thus allowing us direct direct access to the very throne of God to ask for mercy we don't have to come through a priest or a preacher the veil of the temple has been torn. We can go directly to the Father and ask for forgiveness. After this transaction was complete, he who is the author of all life died 
and he who created everything and owns everything was buried in a borrowed grave. Why did he do all of this? We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We were not found worthy. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The answer to why he did this is answered in the depth of Christ's love towards us. Finally, this brings us to the height of Christ's love. The Apostle John des described the height of God's love in 1 John 3, verses 1 and 2. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what, it, what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. By this final dimension, we see God's ultimate and final purpose for us. The Lord Jesus arose from the grave, thus paving the way for us to arise from the grave. He will, we will arise to new and unimaginable heights. Most of us think of salvation in terms of forgiveness. This is understandable because we know that we are sinners and we long for the Lord Jesus to forgive us. But the love of Christ is so much more. Our Savior died not only that we might be forgiven, but he died to make us upright and moral, to make us good. He died not only that our sins might be blotted out, but he died to give us a new birth, to make us a new creation. He died not only to save us from punishment, but he died so that we might be made children of God, to be adopted into his family. He died not merely so we could reside in heaven, but he died so that we might be made heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ Jesus. Christ is not satisfied with just purchasing our forgiveness. He wants us to be eternally with him in glory. This is his ambition for the church. This is his ambition for us. Today, we are strangers in a foreign land. Here, we are sojourners. We are wanderers. We are travelers. This is not our home. Today, we abide in a migrant's tent. But tomorrow, we will have an eternal home. A home that will not decay. A home where thieves will not break in and steal. A home where moths will not destroy, and a home where rust will not corrupt. 
we will spend eternity in an environment more beautiful and more exciting than anything we can possibly imagine. But more importantly, in us, there shall be no fault, no blemish, no wrinkle, and no sin. We shall be made perfectly glorified in spirit, perfectly glorified in soul, and perfectly glorified in body. We shall be eternally filled, entirely filled with all the fullness of God. So in this life, when we have heartache, when we have trouble, when we suffer physically and emotionally, when we feel alone and abandoned, we must remember that God loves us with a love that passes our limited knowledge, such as the width, length, depth, and height of Christ's love. As the piano plays softly, I would like to ask the most important question that anyone has ever asked. Do you know Christ today? That is the most important question that determines where you'll spend all eternity. Would you like to be part of the redeemed? Would you like to know the love of Christ? Would you like to be saved from eternal devil's hell? But we must know that salvation is made up of two parts, faith and repentance. Even the devils, the demons, believe and they tremble. Faith is believing that the Lord Jesus died in our place for our sins. And faith is believing that Christ arose from the dead. Repentance is not being free of sin. For in this life, all of us are sinners. We have all been corrupted and all been tempted to sin. Repentance is not making excuse for sin, justifying our sin, laughing at our sin, or glorifying our sin. Repentance is changing our mind about sin. Repentance is asking the Lord to give us the strength to overcome sin. And repentance is asking the Lord to give us the courage to tell others about him. If there are any here today that have never received Christ as your Savior, today could very possibly be your last chance. It's very possible that everyone in this building might be saved. I don't know that. Only two people does know that. You and the Lord Jesus. But just going to church does not save anyone. Coming here with friends and loved ones doesn't save anyone. Faith and repentance. Believing that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Believing that he arose from the dead. And then changing your mind about your sin. Don't glorify in it. Don't make excuses for it. Don't justify it. But change your mind about it. And ask Lord Jesus to give you the strength to overcome your sin and then ask the Lord Jesus 
to give you the courage to tell everybody we can about Jesus. I don't know. Preachers have been saying this for 2,000 years. But if you look around the world, how much worse can it get? Maybe it can. I don't know. Only the Lord knows. But today, he's given each one of us another chance. And I'll stand here, and if anyone would like to come and accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, that's the greatest decision you can make in all eternity. Please stand. So I just have a couple announcements. Um, first of all, the choir met on Wednesday night, and we had 27. And there was quite a few that had already told me they wouldn't be there. So come join us. We're having a good time uh, getting back to singing. It's been 18 months since the choir met. So um, it was a good time in the Lord, good fellowship, um, good to be back. The other thing, Brother Greg texted me. Um, he wanted me to announce that. Let's remember to pray for Marilyn Pence and the loss of her sister this week. So, Brother Greg is watching. Brother Bill, would you close us in prayer, please? 